Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hey Look Listen, a video game podcast where me, Owner Reardon, get the chat to two of the most beautiful men <laughs> that I know about all things video games. Those two men nice. are, of course, Jonathan Morrissey and Liam Sheehan. Gents, how are you doing? Hello. How are you getting on? Yeah, I'm good. Hello, everyone. Very enthusiastic. Um, hey! Hey! Woo! <laughs> we have, of course, rolled into a new year in 2021. Um, and it goes without saying that 2020, for sure, was an interesting year. Um, but the one thing that it possibly did provide all of us was an opportunity to play and potentially explore some new video games um, that none of us had potentially played before or with that potential time in our hands to dig right back into games that we have played far too many times. Um, so on today's episode, we're going to each pick a game um, that we're bringing to the table to discuss that we played in 2020. It could be old. It could be a new of that year. Who knows? None of us know because we don't know what we're bringing to the table today. Um, but let you. first, yeah, I know. I actually, I was the person who put it out there. I wanted to know what everyone brought to the table. No, not your little tantrum. I didn't want that. It wasn't a little tantrum. <laughs> it was pretty big. Uh, but before we actually dive into the the games that we will be talking about today, I am curious to see how 2020 was for everyone in terms of um, what they got to play. I thought that personally I would actually end up playing more during quarantine um, than I actually did. Um, you know, I I was fortunate enough to to be able to afford The Last of Us 2 um, because being in Canada, games cost obviously a hun- over $100, which is massively expensive, hugely expensive. Um, obviously very taken with that. My game of the year, as I've said it to you guys. Um, so I'd love to just hear a bit, uh, a bit more about what you guys got to play. Well, I feel like I missed... The big zeit, some of the, the big zeitgeisty video game events that happened during the pandemic, and I hope, like, I, I don't hope you, you guys aren't talking about one of these because I just feel like the game of 2020 was Animal Crossing, oh, and I completely missed, I completely missed it. God damn it! I can't believe you just said I, that. <laughs> no, it was like the big. It came out at just this perfect time that, like, it was right in the middle of that kind of confusing, terrifying early months. And it was just like, here, Nintendo's giving you an alternate life to live in. I think that was kind of the story of, of 2020. But I'll always remember the pandemic for uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is not the game I'm going to talk about today. But I think it's always going to be the one I remember from 2020 playing. I, like, I remember really looking forward to it, more so because the pandemic happened. I was like, give me something good, please. Mm-hmm. And I'll always just remember like right in the heart of the, of the, the lockdown in Ireland um, playing Final Fantasy VII. That was the big game of the year for me. And not, necessarily like, my, not necessarily my like, favorite, but it was like 14 years in development to begin. Yeah, with. so I wasn't, looking, I wasn't looking forward to it at all before this year. And then the closer it got, I started getting quite excited for it because I said, like, you know, Square Enix games don't feel real until like two months before they come out because you never know when they're fucking going to come out. Mm-hmm. But uh, sure. yeah, that was that's all. I, like, I've on the lead up to it, I replayed Final Fantasy VII, and I went back and I replayed Final Fantasy VI because I had this big Final Fantasy um, urge. I hadn't played that in years. So I think when I remember kind of gaming during the pandemic, I'm going to remember Final Fantasy. Was kind of what I rest into. And Liam, just out of curiosity, you mentioned Animal Crossing, and I, I'm curious to know why it was that you missed that train. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't played an Animal Crossing since um, the GameCube. It's actually the only one I've played. I've missed all the big popular online ones for the DS and. And the 3DS, I think they're the two big ones before this one. I just missed it, yeah. I think it was the fact that like I was kind of really conscious of like not spending too much money when I, you know, I was out of work because of the pandemic and I, I allowed myself to get Final Fantasy Seven. And I didn't get at around the same time, I think it almost came out the same week. Uh, Doom Eternal is another game, big game from this. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I missed. That's a question I don't know. And I, I actually remember feeling very left out. This was the big like everyone's going to remember those months for the rest of their lives. And like, in terms of video games, I think Animal Crossing was like the thing that a lot of people are going to remember. And I just wasn't proud of it. <laughs> it's, never, it's not too late. We're still in quarantine. <laughs> it's true. I, yeah, yeah. I, the game I picked was not Animal Crossing. Um, I did buy it. I think I sunk maybe 30 hours into it, but then <clears throat> I know when I think back about all the Animal Crossings I've played, I don't have a massive love for them. I kind of lose love after 20, 30 hours, which is a lot, I guess, but, um, 
I like you own. I didn't play as many games as I hoped I would mm-hmm. in, in quarantine. Uh, like I think I spread it out with like maybe movies and TV as well. Um, but I I did two things. One, I bought a couple of new games, which was uh, Ghost of. Uh, I always get this wrong. Tsushima. Tsushima, thank you so much. Yeah, you saved, you saved me. Which I thought was brilliant. I really, really loved this. But again, in all fairness, Marcy, everyone had been pronouncing that wrong for literally two years to the build up. Okay, <laughs> like it was, it was crazy actually how everyone had it wrong. Okay, I don't feel as bad then. And then I went back into my Steam library as well and just kind of played a bit of everything uh, and just tried to, I suppose, chip away at the backlog a small bit. But um, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm I'm actually really interested. I if I could have guessed what game Liam was going to pick for today, I absolutely would have said Final Fantasy VII Remake. So now I'm incredibly intrigued. I have a lot of super cool opinions about it, negative and positive. But no, that's not the one. That's not the one I've chosen though. <laughs> yeah, I like it's. I miss the Animal Crossing, uh, like launch as well. And my girlfriend ended up buying it for herself. Um, because she just, I think, more wanted to be in what was popular in the zeitgeist and, just, and more to see what all of the fuss is about. You know, and she's potentially more of like a, a, a lapsed gamer on a, on a casual level. Um, so like ha- having watched her play it towards the end of lockdown number one for us over here, um, like I could, I, I completely, completely get why it was so popular. And you're right, Liam, it was, it coincided, like the time you couldn't, make up how exact that timing was to release that game it was the end of march right i think it was literally it was at the end of the march it meant of march it came out which was like i think in canada the first month where we went into to lockdown because i know right here, yeah. my girlfriend had pre-ordered it and there's now i won't say her name but she's i think 400 hours something like that <laughs> maybe, maybe more but yeah i remember it was being really really close to to when we went into lockdown in canada yeah and like i even like i did a project for myself of like logging everything at the start of 2020. And I was like, okay, I'm going to track everything that I watch and that I play and essentially that I consume. I remember and, that. I remember you, yeah. send, you sent us that list. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't get much beyond probably what I sent you at like the start of the year, because I just ne- like, I didn't get around to as much. Um, but I also think like I tackled um, a couple of things that were just totally out of the blue. One of them being um, like final fantasy 15. Like for whatever reason, um, it, and it might have been because Final Fantasy VII was coming out that year. Um, Final Fantasy XV was one of the games where I got like twenty hours through and just completely fell off. And I said, "Quarantine is probably the perfect opportunity for that type of game, where it's like you know you want to replay it." Like the the other one that I can compare it to that I didn't get around to was The Witcher, and that's the kind of game where. Um, I think like I first picked it up, picked it up at yours actually, Marcy, when I first came to Canada mm. and uh, I picked it up again um, on some PSN sale and I got, again, 15 hours true, didn't hook me then. And I thought quarantine would be the exact time to do it, but I never, never got around to it. I, I can't believe there was, we have a video game podcast and there's two of us who haven't played The Witcher 3 because I also haven't played it. And we it's played right. it, but we haven't finished it. I haven't even played it. It's right on. It's, it's the last five, six years have been on top of my list of the game I know I need to play. For nothing more than I can't have conversations about the best games of like last generation confidently because everyone's always just like, you haven't played The Witcher 3, though. Your opinions don't matter. I, Not I, that you're bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that person's like a dick. Uh, but the funny thing is, well, it's like so up both of your streets. Like you'd both yeah. really, really like it. But I also, to be honest, it took me my third attempt at playing it. To actually get stuck into it, um, but and speaking of quarantine, I actually did buy it again uh, last year. I bought it for the Switch, um, which is a we'd have to do a full podcast on that because I think I played it for like an hour and a half. I was like, nope, that's not playable, and then put it down. And never, I think it was it was pretty terrible. It was a really poor port. I know they updated it um, a couple months later, but I I don't want to talk about you know CD Projekt Red. <laughs> what's, what's happening? Yeah. There. Can I ask have 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 either of you chosen? Cyberpunk for your game, spoilers. I haven't played it. No, I yeah, I pl- I put in about five hours to it, um, and I had to put it down because not because it was like bugs and stuff. I just didn't really enjoy it that much. I thought it was just right. and, and, I, and I didn't really, I wasn't hyped for it at all or any of that kind of stuff. I hadn't like pre-ordered or anything. Um, I just thought I don't know. I'm very fatigued with those kind of games right now. Just to kind of go here. 
go to the next map point, pick up something, bring it to the next map point. And it was a lot of driving. So I was just like, oh, I don't play another well, Would you say even in, sorry, even in comparison to The Witcher 3, did they do that type of game worse? It's man, you can't. It's it, it can't be compared to the Witcher in any way. It's so it's really weird. It's kind of like it's a very very shallow RPG that is trying to be a very very deep one. Um, and like I just was like I don't know. I was very very disappointed. Um, I, I will say uh, that again. My my partner uh, was like had is like the biggest Witcher three fan I've ever met. Um, she's like dropped like she's on two playthroughs of the Witcher three. That's Morton. insane. Yeah, that, really, I, that's insane. really crazy. Like three hundred hours doesn't really play games at all. Um, and she, she was really, really excited for Cyberpunk. She played about six, seven hours and was just like so disappointed. It was just like, really? yeah, because it's, it's it's like an action adventure thing as opposed to an RPG. But as I said, we'd have to like dedicate. We we should all play it actually at some point and do a podcast and see what we think on it. Um, I'd be really curious. Like, there's a part of me does doesn't want to give them money though. The whole, the whole thing felt very um, very dodgy. That's a bad taste in my mouth. But I yeah, am I, interested in playing it, especially since as the weeks have uh, passed, more kind of positive stories of it are kind of creeping on the internet of people, like despite all the glitches, people are finding pretty good things about it. So I am curious about it to give it a go. I'm, as I told you guys, I've, with the, uh, the stock shortage of PS5 and Xbox Series X, those naming conventions for Microsoft are just out. <laughs> ridiculous. Like, chilling every time. Best console exactly. Um, I've just uh, decided to to go, move to the master race of PC. So I'm currently building my PC. But what's worse than trying to find a PS5 and an Xbox is trying to find a GPU. Um, so it's 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 uh, you know you're looking at twelve thirteen hundred dollar GPUs that actually retail for four hundred fifty like MSRP. So it's uh it's probably gonna be until September or November this year until that's oh, actually built. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's way worse than what's going on on the console front. Are you, are you, are you trying to get the RTX, whatever it is like the... Yeah. So I'll probably end up getting like an RTX thirty seventy. Um or like lower end now is thirty sixty. Then there's a thirty sixty ti and then a 3070 and the 3070 is your is your you know four is essentially your 4k machine um but i don't really care about 4k but that's totally besides the point but it does lend itself quite well um because i do have a couple of points to talk about on a technical front uh for the game that i did pick (gasps) that i uh And it's funny. I, I'm I'm segueing into uh, the games that we're bringing to the table today, Liam, to discuss. The we all we all noticed that. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, what is this a segue? What's happening oh. here? Yeah, well, where are you bringing us? Our, our conversation is so natural. I forgot we were recording a podcast. Now I'm like, the, okay, right. I'm not giving the audience enough credit. So when we when we uh, when we sent across um, each other's lists for like top 10 games of the generation last year. This was, yeah, we did that. Yeah. Cause th- this one was on my mind about whether or not I should include it because I massively enjoyed it. It's uh, released in 2009. It's actually gears five. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. Yes. What? So uh, yeah, a franchise that I think like amongst our group, has completely fallen off since the Xbox 360 era. Um, and ju- it's, it's, it's interesting because it's gone through um, a lot of development, I think, since the last time potentially you guys have, have played a Gears of War game, um, spe- and especially since I have. I think the the last one I played was Judgment, which was tr- on the 360. It was post the original trilogy, and it was... a uh, if I remember correctly, trying to keep up with the Gears of War timeline, um, it's set more around when Judgment Day actually happened. So more around D-Day. But Gears 5 is probably, I wanted to bring it to the table because uh, a couple of things I really want to talk about is how how you reinvent uh, uh, a series and what makes uh, a third-person shooter like fun for you guys. What are those specific elements? Um, but a couple of points that I wanted to bring up about the Witcher, not about the Witcher, about Gears Five, um, that you guys might not know, is it is actually the sixth 
game in the the Gears franchise. So we, <laughs> yeah, uh, because you can't forget Gears of War Judgment and Gears of War Four, um, which this is a sequel to. Um, Gears of War Four is kind of forgot the forgotten child there, right in the middle, because that was when Gears of War the development switched from Epic Games over to the Coalition. So Microsoft bought the rights of Gears of War from Epic that formed their own in-house studio called The Coalition. Uh, the name aligns to some story beats and story elements um, of the Gears franchise. Um, but I, I'd love to start off by, and I think it's a good place to start, is when I say Gears of War, in your mind, what like what jumps? Uh, uh, what's the first thing that jumps to your mind? Because I'd love to compare it to how the series is now in Gears Five without you guys having too much context of it. Chainsaws. Uh, yes, <laughs> literally. I was going to say. I was going to say. I think of chainsaws and then instantly think of Resident Evil. Um, I, honestly, man, like I, it's one of those series. The few game series the last few years I just haven't got into. I've tried. I always thought Gears was like a bit clunky and just full of guys who were full of steroids. And the story was like, yeah, we got to save the human race. I was like, whatever. There's a, like, there's more heart to the story of Gears of War than people often remember. The second, the second game I remember being, um, had a kind of Dom's, dead, Dom's, Dom's wife. wife. But what I actually remember about Gears of War, because I've played the original trilogy and I've stopped since then, is probably the last really good local multiplayer experience I've ever had when I remember people coming to my house and playing split screen Gears of War even though that was right in the middle of obviously 360 I have a lot of fond memories of uh, Gears of War's multiplayer especially 1 and 2 I think we played your house yeah yeah I I I thought it was a brilliant multiplayer game which Gears was that when we used to play at your house because that's that's the last time I played it 1 or 2 yeah Yeah. long time ago yeah, it's 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 Gears is one of those interesting ones, um, because you know w- one of the things that jumps to my mind is when I think Gears of War, um, I think a couple of things. One is you know without a doubt, uh, Mad Jules, uh, Mad World trailer, which oh, is God, like yeah. has gone down in history uh, as like one of the greatest um, uh, video game trailers of all time. And another thing is. It's a. It was a game that truly represented a graphical leap that said, "This is next gen." I remember seeing it on IGN.com. I still remember seeing it, and it was like Marcus Phoenix and one of the Locust kind of face to face, like squaring each other down, like a like a boxing match almost. And I remember finding out that it was in engine graphics, and I was like, "What? This is crazy!" I completely agree with you. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I remember being the big kind of look at next gen. This is what it looks like game. And like with that, and it was, I think it was like, it was really common in that area era of the, of the 360 and, and the PS3 was we're going to make everything really monochromatic. And that's going to be like the style of a lot of games. Yeah. Um, GTA 4. I just think, G- that, yeah, that exactly. era, that era that, that, I, I really like that era of games, but I don't know. It's sort of the era of the fucking brown shooter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and G- and GTA 4 me hit right away, just driving around the town and not knowing what time of day it was because it was just dark and brown. What comes to my mind massively, because it was another showcase for Next Gen, was Killzone uh, on PS3, and they had that you know uh, synonymous trailer now that was obviously stated as in-engine, but it clearly wasn't. Yeah. Uh, Resistance Fall of they Man. Done, they done goofed. Yeah, another one. <laughs> exactly. So... One of the things that like really caught me, and it was a pleasant surprise while I was playing Gears Five, was you know, and I encourage both of you to you know go look at the game now, but like the series really reinvented itself in a very surprising, uh, in a surprising manner. Um, gone is the like monochromatic grit of the old games, and you have this now like actual like vibrant colorful world which i don't associate with like gears of war at all the uh that you know what i think i think you said it marcy it was like the um the energy of the old games was a bunch of 
burly, oversized men um, grunting a lot. Like our but, podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> exactly. Man. Got us. But <laughs> you, in Gears 5, there's, like a sh- there's a shift of uh, narrative attention to um, a female protagonist who's, again, right, it's like these much more subtle um, uh, kind of family tie uh, story narrative and story beats that you just don't necessarily expect from a Gears of War. And the like the biggest thing that I can compare it to, um, and I think it's probably the fairest comparison, is, and it's not in the video game genre, it's Thor Ragnarok versus Thor 1 and 2. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, you know, get, thanks for explaining in terms I would understand. <laughs> yeah, no, that really helps though, because I, I, I totally get to me by the style. But what 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 led you to to pick this up during quarantine? Like, how, how did that happen? So, so it's an it's another point I have here that is a talking point, and you know we can we might as well just dive into it. Um, it's the greatest deal in video game history, which is Game Pass. Uh, I paid two hundred bucks for my Xbox Series X with Jedi Fallen Order and I got three months free or like it was for one dollar or whatever it was for Xbox Game Pass and this massive massive library of games and Gears of what all of the Gears were there you know so it's like it's Gears was a franchise I was in love with at one stage um completely had fallen off but it's right there at your at your front door for one dollar yeah, Game Pass is incredible. Like I, like during twenty twenty, I tried Origin. I went back to Steam. I even very foolishly subscribed to Stadia for two months. Um, Game Pass is by far of all those kind of you know massive libraries right now. Those massive game sharing libraries. I think it's just by far the most impressive. And that's also how I found my game, which we can talk about later. But I found it the exact same way. I went back looking through it. Did you yeah. pick it up? Game Game Pass? Oh no, I didn't actually. I love it though. I love. Um what a, a gauntlet thrown down it is because Microsoft have been in third place for a long time now for all through this generation. Yeah, they didn't have a didn't have the best um run with the Xbox One. I love the way Sony has the exclusives. Sony is like selling more consoles and they're just like we need a big um a strategy. And they what they ended up doing was not only just a big strategy, they kind of rewrote the rules of how games are distributed and the games are purchased. And if this is successful, this could change everything. And, you know, I, as a negative, I'll say, for me, the big system seller de facto games just aren't there. The ones that make me go, I need to have an Xbox Series X to play these games. Because I, whatever about hardware, I I play games for the games. Now. Like, I don't have any allegiance to consoles or anything like that. So I love games. You're, I can't. You're, oh, sorry. You're talking about the, like, the, the Microsoft and Xbox IP of games not being there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like the, the the exclusives, the games that I can only get on an Xbox console for me aren't there yet, but it is one of the best ga- deals in gaming history, especially in, when this day and age when the hobby has never been a more expensive one. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. I think they're they're it's crazy how good a deal it is. Owen, oh, do you consider then Gears being something you would buy an Xbox for exclusively? And, and that's a funny thing, right? And I think this is. And I, you know, I think this is part of the charm, um, and the 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 reason why Game Pass is so successful is like you're discovering titles and IP that you would never yeah, ever yeah, think okay. of exploring before. Like I was not going to drop, um, what you know, what it, the two hundred bucks on an Xbox just to play Gears of War. Yeah. Part of the reason why I got the Xbox was because. I would have three months free of Xbox Game Pass for, or whatever it was, for a dollar. And after that, it's, you know, $11 a month. And the amount of games that I have played through that, I'm pretty sure, Liam, that's where I played Final Fantasy 15. They now have Final Fantasy 9 and 7 really? there. Yeah, they have, uh, like, Dragon Quest um, S, whatever the, the latest one is. Yeah, eleven, and that, like the big thing that like the infrastructure is there, right? So like Game Pass, and it's massively successful. I think um, to go back to Gears, that within the first week of 
Game Pass launching with Gears 5 there, they had 3 million people play it through Game Pass. Wow. You know, like, it's it's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, that's that's where the... It's funny because, like, PlayStation spoke about the model, how they don't see how it's sustainable, really. But, you know, I think Microsoft is just such a massive conglomerate anyway that whatever costs they can probably eat and offset elsewhere within the Microsoft business, right? It's worth so, it, yeah. Yeah, so it's, like, it's totally worth it. And I think, like, part of the reason why I do think it is possibly and it you know to be quite honest it is 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 if you look at the long tail of this thing with microsoft now buying bethesda mm. the how i played doom eternal was true game pass you know right. it's everything that every bethesda game that's coming out from here on out would be day on day game pass you know and it, there's a there's a lot of those games that i will 100 percent have like i think bethesda's um uh, a damn good publisher so it's uh, uh you know it's very very enticing that i would migrate to uh like an xbox series x over a playstation 5 just because of that 100 and and they're getting origin as well aren't they isn't there some sort of deal there where origin and no they have what they have is they have ea's service or oh, ea play yeah you they have ea art. play rolled into game pass now so you now have access to like essentially whatever EA Play has. That's how I was playing the old Dead Space one and two through Game Pass. You know, so like it's 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 a massively, massively impressive um offering. And um, is uh is Gears Five the biggest jewel you found in it, you think? Yes. I th- I think it I think it is. Only for the fact that, you know, it's kind of going back to and I think it's 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 the it's the main talking point I have of like of a reinvention or a reinvigoration of a franchise that now has me engaged again. Like I'm excited now again for where that franchise can go. And story, also, story or gameplay or everything. Is it just, is it just so a very good sequel? It's, it's a bit of everything. Um, so with the change of, so the switch in gears four was a change to Marcus Phoenix's son, uh, JD. And now it's switched to uh, Kate is um, is the uh, the main protagonist who has family ties to the locusts without spoiling too much. It's very obvious. She literally wears a necklace of the locusts. Um, wait, wait, her family are, lo- are locusts? Aliens. Yeah. Oh my God, that's a, ma- that's a huge twist. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit ridiculous. Uh, the entire game is all of them going around. It's like you know, you're missing your mother, blah, blah, blah. And she's literally wearing a massive locust symbol on her necklace for, <laughs> for the entire game. <laughs> but, but it's kind of Liam, what, what, what is, what it reminds me of is similar to what, without getting into spoiler territory, Marcy is kind of what Naughty Dog did with, um, the last of us two and kind of in, um, uncharted four, which is, um, you know, gears was super linear. Like it was literally running from cover A to B, um, but they added like call it like not open worlds, but like free roam elements, like zones. Yeah, exactly. So you have like uh, you get essentially like this massive propellant jet ski kind of I don't know rider machine, and you kind of get to go to certain areas of this massive map, and there's actually side quests that you can do. But like it was very much, it was clearly an idea that was um, really in like the preliminary stages because it really wasn't well thought out because the the reward for what you're doing on a side quest is just, you know, a tag or some special ammo or something. Um, but it, it's kind of like how Uncharted did it. It's like you're playing Uncharted 4 and you have this massive open, uh, I think it was like an African, almost safari space. Yeah. And it just felt completely new and completely different. Yeah. yeah it's amazing it is funny though it feels like every franchise now though is moving towards that like games I, that i almost i it's, prefer I, it over I, a, I find it tiring but rather than a big open world that has like markers on your map i prefer something like Owen just described like in uncharted or, or gears 5 i'm okay with it opening up for a while it's like god of war did it very well yeah it did. um and go back to final Fantasy 7 remake a lot of people we're very excited about, you know, well, Midgar has been remade. I hope it's open world. And I was always like, please don't let it be open world. 
and it's not, but it is like that thing you, the game opens up into these areas every now and then that you can explore, but the game itself has you on a linear path. And I think it's definitely a very good way to do an action game like Gears 5. I thought it really worked for Uncharted 4. I thought Uncharted 4 was one of the best paced games I've ever played, and but it also felt like way bigger than the ones before them. And obviously, you know, I'm, I'm sure Marcy knows this by now, and it doesn't touch on any story beats. Like, it plays somewhat of a bigger element in The Last of Us 2, my like personal favorite game of God knows how long. Um, but, you know, it's like Naughty Dog took that kind of reinvention of what they did, or like, you know, the next step of, of their gameplay design and level design and massively expanded on that in The Last of Us 2. Um, with these massive free roam areas. But it's funny, right? Because like supposedly, and Neil Druckmann spoke about this, that The Last of Us 2 was meant to be an open world game and that they had to cut it down then the further they got it drilled into the story. Hmm. So like you're you're right, Marcy, in saying it's like almost every game appears to have this now. Um, but like it's a, you know, it's a good reinvention um, and reinvigoration for a, you know, a cover shooter type franchise. What's I think like an Assassin's Creed could almost scale back. You know, they've yeah. almost gone too big. No, I, I, I agree with both of you. I, I was making more of a comment that I, it's just the full open-ended stuff. I just, I don't have time for anymore. And I just don't want to spend 20 minutes writing from one story point to another. So I do think it's this brilliant kind of, I suppose, middle kind of compromise for that like deus ex which i don't think either of you folks played but mankind uh divided divided yeah uh, yeah great little game um it did that because the game before it had actually been pretty open world and then with mankind they, they made it much the zones much smaller they actually brought down just one city as opposed to kind of international global whatever um it was way more enjoyable so i i i totally get that and i think you're both right it's 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 a good happy medium yeah Mm-hmm. not respecting your time as well i think a lot of world games just simply don't respect your time the kind of the amount of time you're spending doing things are like what you're actually doing is actually kind of repetitive a game i really really liked this year was ghost of tsushima i have a ton of like praise for that game but i also just got completely bogged down in the open world part of it and i got to a point where i just was like this game isn't really respecting my time i'm not going to chase another fox through a glen to get like a little tiny power up you know and it's it's, it's a shame because i love that game but it's more like the open world model of, you know, having your map filled with icons and then just going doing things. Well, there's 50 icons, but there's four different things with like that. And it's, that's actually such a shame for that game in particular because there's so many great things to it. Like the story is fantastic. I think the the combat is brilliant, but it, I, that's exactly what happened with me, with me. I put 30 odd hours into it and I was like, I can't do this. I can't go find another shrine. Um, <laughs> although th- th- those foxes are pretty cute though. And I hope that's not a spoiler alert on. No, I thought it was a euphemism. So now that I know it's literal. You know what? I, I think you guys rounded uh, like Gears 5 out really well, speaking about touching on another couple of games that have reinvented themselves with uh, level design and, and, and some gameplay mechanics. Um, you know, it, it's, it is one of those games that like having spoken about um, – my, part of my intention was to pique your guys' interest about actually checking it out, um, and that's that's why that's kind of why I wanted to include it because it was out of left field. Mm. It was one that you guys definitely didn't know that I would. De- I, if if I never said I wanted, yeah. yeah, yeah, never. Oh, I heard you said it. I couldn't believe it. I sent Morris a private message going Gears Four <laughs> Five. No. Oh, so, sorry, no. Liam, it's uh, they've rebranded it now to Gears Five. Oh, um, that's pretty. Yep, I like thank that. God, because I, I didn't understand Liam's message when he did send it. You know, <laughs> now it makes a, a lot more sense. Um, Jonathan that, Marcy, you said you wanted to be the cream within this beautiful sandwich. <laughs> cream, did, yeah. Well, a classic Canadian sandwiches, of course. <laughs> a, a cream sandwich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a, a bunch of Canadians can confirm for us. Yeah, it's it's so funny, man. And this, I'm actually glad now. I heard one of your choices because mine is so, so different for completely different reasons almost. Um, although we touched on a few of them. So with quarantine, I've, I've played a lot of games. Uh, I played a lot of games last year, but I didn't finish many. Um, it was one of those years where, That's fair, yeah. you know what I mean? Like a lot of games uh, spiked my interest. I, I put the time into them because I had it, nothing else to do. Um, but I was just like really starting to get 
I know I, it probably happens to you guys a bunch of times. You have a big backlog of games and you look at it. You've got 50 games. Like, I don't know what I want to play. No, nothing is like kind of working for me right now. Um, so I said, I need to figure out like a type of game I've never played before. Um, so a bunch of games that I know you guys are really into kind of came you know, across my path. I thought about Final Fantasy. Um, so I actually, using Game Pass, played a bit of Final Fantasy 15. I was like, nope, that's, that's not it. It's great. It's too, 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 too Final Fantasy for me. Um, it is very not, Final Fantasy. It, it really is, yeah. It's just like, a, you know, just driving in the car and everything. I was like, what, what is this? But this is amazing. Um, I tried uh, some survival horror games. Um, which I haven't that. Why do you say? Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm yes, and I don't mind that being on the podcast. I am terrified of uh, horror games and horror movies and anything that's slightly scary. Um, it's like one I tried. I don't know if you guys ever played it. Was Subnautica, uh, which I was someone absolutely lied to me at work. They're like, oh, it's more of like an exploration game. <laughs> Absolute lies. Um, <laughs> like one of the scariest games I've ever played. Uh, so I put about five hours of that. Like, the scariest thing about that is a friend lying to you, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> real, that's a real horror. It is, yeah, yeah. Like, it's very tough to regain trust. Yeah, we haven't. <laughs> we haven't. Um, but again, it's, and it's so funny, those two games I just talked about, it was because of Game Pass. Um, so I, I literally spent a couple of weeks just downloading games from Game Pass, drawing them out, moving on, until finally I found a game that I, and I honestly haven't been this obsessed with a game in a long, long time. Um, I briefly mentioned to you guys a few weeks ago, which I really wish I hadn't done now. Um, it's a game called Divinity Original Sin 2. Oh, yeah. Right? I did, yes. So I had never heard of it before, never heard of the franchise. Um, it's a type of game, like that kind of, what's it called, isometric, you know, top-down, uh, turn-based RPG that I've never played. And I absolutely, if, you, if you'd asked me like a month ago what type of game would I never play, I would tell you a turn-based combat game. No interest. Right. Um, so that's why like things like Final Fantasy was really, really tough for me to get into. Um, and I'd be jealous because, I, particularly you guys, I'd look at you guys talk about you know, franchises like Final Fantasy so passionately, or like Liam, you talk about JRPGs quite a bit. And I'd be like, I hey, really. I, 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 sometimes I talk to girls too, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I, yeah. Um, and uh, I was really jealous because I really wanted to get into that. Um, and <laughs> That's not, nothing to be jealous of, Marcy, don't worry. No, no, really, really <laughs> to, yeah, not, the, not the talking to girls, the JRPGs. Um, but so when. I literally didn't do any reviews, like like almost like the old days when I was like really young. You'd go into like Smiths or Game and on Cruise Street in Limerick, and I would pick a game out, like based I'm talking really cover? based on a cover. And I was like, Javier is just saying, "Hey, that looks kind of good." I just done uh, Lord of the Rings marathon, um, marathon. I'm a thirty-two man. I did it over like three weeks. <laughs> super old, you know what I mean? Um, but the reason I've I've actually just kind of absolutely fall in love with it is that it just does some really basic things right and we've actually touched on a lot of them which is kind of great um so firstly it is a, a massively open world game um but it's it, it's kind of set into chapters so you have five different chapters with each chapter being a huge huge part of the island um and but the great thing is it's it's not like okay you got to go find you know this wizard he's over here it makes you go the whole way to the fucking side of the map it keeps you all the missions are within little towns little subsets of the map so it, as Liam said it really respected my time so I could sit down for like an hour or two and make like really decent progress through it um, and enjoy the absolute shit out of it um, and then it did some other things that just I feel like games don't do very well anymore. Um, the missions and the, and the story itself was really unique. Well, it wasn't unique. It was just told really well. And what I mean is, like, it's a very typical, no real spoilers here. Um, you play a character who's, like, the god woken. such a PC thing. But, like, you're the god woken. You're, you know, you have to kind of get this party with you and, and, and kind of fight this, you know, this divine evil or whatever. Um, but it just, it just told a story really, really well through really, really good recorded dialogue. No cutscenes um no you know what i mean no no crazy cast of like hundreds of characters massive epic things just like really really good voice recorded um voiceovers um that's kind of actually to be honest you brought me a bit back to the witcher um but it was just so different to anything else i i had played last year um and then it also kind of just opened up this whole world of turn-based video games for myself um i'd love to hear that 
It's so exciting. Like, yeah, and it, it's funny because I, I, knowing you for how long I know you, Marcy, it's going back to the very early days of PC gaming. Like for sure, that isometric top-down strategy type game is like that's Baldur's the, Gate. Yeah, like and like um, Mercenaries, I think was a couple of them. Like that's to, those are like totally in your blood. Um, but I think I always thought it was that it was that RPG element that like always turned you off. Yeah, and it's funny. I really like Western RPGs. Like I love them. Like I think when we did that top ten list, I'm pretty. Pretty sure I had Skyrim and The Witcher. And Witcher, you had Witcher yeah. number one, didn't you? I believe. I I would now I would now genuinely put Divinity as number one. I, I would easily drop that. Um, I thought you had on yeah, Goose Game. I love that game. Such a game. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, that yeah, that actually I might just change it. Uh, forget forget about Divinity. Um, but what I and it's funny, Liam mentioned Baldur's Gate. They actually the same studio who did Divinity, which is I think Larian Studios, are called. And um, they just did the new Baldur's Gate 3. Um, oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. So full circle, right? Um, the combat's amazing. The graphics are fine. Like it came out in 2017. So it's nothing super impressive in that regard. Um, but it's just been such a long time where I've played a game and I sat down and I just enjoyed the dialogue so, so much. Um, there's one other game that was close to it, which Owen guessed at the start. And I, I don't know if you guys played it, but Disco Elysium. Um it's coming to Switch this year. I'm waiting for the Switch. Yeah. Yeah. Going to play it. Again, a game that was kind of regarded as one of the best last year as well. Um, mm-hmm. I actually found that much harder to get into. Um, just because Divinity was just like, it just had this amazing ability to make me feel like I actually was part of this epic story. Um, so if if you don't mind me asking, Parsi, like from the like from the get-go, like of this game, is there like character customization? Is it like other games where there's like a character class, like how, you know, cause that type of thing, I know you'd probably be fine with, but then I'd like, I'd love to know. Cause what really interests me is that switch in mentality and how you fell in love with this, this type of genre. Um, and like from that very beginning, is it kind of, you touch on it like a small bit, is it, was it purely the writing that overlooked the gameplay that made you accept and fall in love with it? Um, or like you know, what really grabbed you from the very beginning that made you say like, "Oh, holy shit, I love this." Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good question. Like, it was all the usual stuff of an RPG at the start. You've got you know, your character customization. You've got yeah, you what kind of class are you? You major, and it's single player, right? It's it's actually not. No, it's it's uh, it's four player co op as well, um, which is pretty cool. And like, so me and my partner again, she Jesus, I've never seen someone stay in a character customization screen so long. It's like. <laughs> two and a half hours um but uh yeah it is co-op as well and it's actually on the switch as well it's it's so it oh. and it's like it's one of the best reviewed games on pc of all time it shifted a huge amount of copies but back, back to your question is the the block i've had playing those games is just completely the combat um if i'm playing a game like that i have to feel like i'm really immersed um and i find the older i get the less time i have to get immersed so something has to catch me really really quick I have to get re- I have to get really yeah, yeah. such in the world. Do, do you know what I mean? So the first hour of Divinity, um, you're literally just on a ship, on like a like a very old fashioned like from like this say we say 16th, 17th century kind of old pirate ship, um, and you're just in a prison cell in that ship. For the first two three hours, all you do is talk to characters and try to find out how you got there, which sounds usually not respectful of my time at all. Uh, super boring. Um, but it wasn't, and it just sucked me in. So, so I got writing, is writing is fantastic, and the, it's just—it really is the voice acting. Like, if you even just get to, some time to try to quickly on Game Pass, every character is so unique. The writing is so unique. I feel it's one of the, the few games because, again, another thing that nearly every game does now is give you dialogue options that apparently change the impact of the game. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I took about this is crazy. It took about ten hours to finish that that ship portion. Um, and when I left, I ended up joining Reddit and kind of like reading some stuff on Reddit. I missed a bunch of missions um, because of dialogue choices I actually made. So I felt like I was actually, you know, really kind of, sh- you know, I suppose making my own story and my own path. But the thing that was always been the hard blocker has been combat. Turn-based combat, I just think, pulls me right out of it. I think it's, I'm going to say silly. There you go. I'm going to say it's it's kind of repetitive. Um, <laughs> um, and Divinity did it so well like so incredibly well um 
It's not I much. Miss, I miss it. You see, I don't. I, I almost think it's like a thing of the past. I'm so happy to hear this because I've always loved turn-based combat. I just feel like it's disappearing from the world now. So this is great to hear that there's this game I didn't know of with it. Yeah, and like I, I really think both of you would, would really, really like it when it comes out. I was saying when it comes out on Switch, we should try and do you know a, a co-op of or something like that. Yeah, perfect. Um, but yeah, and so like it just, like, I went wild. I went like I. I downloaded a bunch of I down I bought the original Baldur's Gate collection for Switch, um, booted that up, put a bunch of time into that. That's aged terribly, but it was fun. Pillars of Eternity, um, a Pokemon. Randomly. Yeah, so Pillars of Eternity was the one. So I downloaded that based on the massive rave reviews for that as well. Um, but I I I think that like again the the isometric style. I think that what's really preventing me from loving it these days is actually doing it by myself. And I think that doing it with uh, a group of like-minded people uh, who are on that journey would completely switch things around for me. Yeah. And, and I get that. And I, cause I, Divinity is this really cool thing where you don't, where people can join in a co-op at any time. So I don't even have to restart it. So oh, I did cool. have, yes, yeah, so I did have my partner like, jump on every now and then and kind of like, so, you know, what do you think and blah, blah, blah. And it was, it was a bit of fun. Um, but yeah, like it was just a game that came out of left field for me as well last year. I never would have thought I would have played something like that and put so much time into it and enjoyed it so much. Um, and it also came about a time where like we spoke about earlier today, uh, where I had downloaded and played Cyberpunk, and was just like, I again, like like Liam said, I don't want to do this thing where I'm just going either driving or on a fucking horse or on whatever it is, like just going from point A to point B. To, to you know have a new cutscene or a new part of the mission kick off um so divinity just came on as perfect time it was just it was just so different um i'm just absolutely hooked now like I'll, I'll probably play it the minute in fact when liam starts talking about his game i might just log off <laughs> <laughs> it sounds class i'm actually because when you told me about it a few weeks ago i did a bit of research on it and i was shocked that i hadn't heard of it because it is it, it's not a it's not an indie game or anything it's a huge hit big yeah well, it's huge oh i feel really bad for not hearing about this yeah, and like it just it it just went under the radar, I guess. I don't know, and I I haven't even played the first one, and it was it was really weird. Like the first one wasn't on Game Pass, which is a, actually an issue I have with Game Pass I, I, quite a bit. Um, where I'll be kind of you know I'm not forced, but they have a lot of sequels and not originals, which is frustrating. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of the game that I loved, uh, 2020 and 2021, and I'll probably it's probably my new number one. So which means Untitled Goose Game drops out of that top ten, which is such, such a shame. Um. But yeah, Liam, I am I am absolutely fascinated to to hear yours. Like I I could never have guessed Owens in a million years, so I'm not even gonna attempt to <laughs> Is it Untitled Goose Game? It's not Untitled Goose Game, but it is a game I really like though. Um you allow me to let's just blather on for a tiny bit before I, I I tell you what game it is. Um so I don't think stories in video games or storytelling, I don't think it's the only motivator to get someone playing a game i think there's a lot of interesting things that games can do other than story um, but i'm also equally fascinated by the polar opposite of that when a game is so story driven that it even makes you question if is this even count as a game or is this just like an interactive novel because like is this game is so story driven that it kind of sacrifices gameplay and usually to get that kind of experience i gotta go to my good old friend japan a lot of japanese games that I've played, that I've loved, I question why I'm playing them. Like, do they count as games? And one of the best examples of this type of game came out in 2020, uh, right at the end of it, that I played. And I don't know if you'd heard of it, but the game I've chosen to talk about is called 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Say it over time. 13 Sentinels. Sentinels. Colon. Aegis Rim. Aegis Rim. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. I'm so delighted. We've... Because oh, Japan also has, often has bad titles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this game came out in September or something, and I'd never heard of it um, until the Jeff Keighley Awards for Excellence. There, um, <laughs> it, was up for, <laughs> it was up for Best Narrative in the Game Awards, and I was like, look at this. This looks interesting. So I started like, researching it. Um, it's made by a company called Vanillaware, who um, they sort yeah. of release a game, one game each gen, and then they kind of disappear. They're very interesting that way. 
And uh, I've only played one of them, a game for the PS2 called Olden Sphere. And these guys are very known for um, beautiful 2D um, sprite graphics. Like it's yeah, I played Olden uh, Sphere. Yeah, it's one of the best artwork you ever see. And they usually do kind of uh, medieval type things and action games. But this time uh, they went in the polar opposite. And this is a hugely story-driven uh, sci-fi story. And it is about 13 teenagers who are piloting <laughs> robots. <laughs> so Japanese. <laughs> kaiju. But the, whole, but the whole premise of the game is that you get to play out. They're, they're, they all have these 13 different stories that you have to play out. And it's all in non-chronological order. So you've got to figure out how their stories intersect mm. and the order, the order of things. The only thing that you do know is that there's some segments of the game, the only parts of the game that feel like an actual video game where you're piloting the mechs and you're fighting um, Kaiju. And that happens chronologically after the rest of the game. Does that make sense? This is really confusing. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, so you, have, you have like one constant point of time, which is your reference. And then yeah. you don't know how everything else fits around that. Yeah. And the fun of the game is to have these 13 different protagonists and they all have their own story and each character intersects into other characters. Like a main character in one story can be a side character. Another one, they all keep meeting and intersecting. But the fun of it is that the storylines are so over the top and so ridiculous, yet they all one by one start fitting together like a big puzzle piece. And it's very obsessed with uh, riffing on pop culture. Like one girl's story is like essentially E.T. She finds an alien and she's keeping a secret. One guy's story is sort of, um, is sort of Groundhog Day. Or, or do you remember Source Code with Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah, on the train. It's like that. He's repeating the same train ride over and over again. Uh, and then there's more kind of like Japanese type ones. One guy has been talked to by a pop star through his TV, yada, yada. And they're all ridiculous plot lines. But what's great about it is that, and, and it wouldn't work if it wasn't a game. That's what, that's what kind of what the kind of the point I want to lead with this one is even though it's mostly just story and watching dialogue on a screen, the fact that it's a video game makes it because if it was just like a book or a TV show, it wouldn't work. It's you making the decision of what order you're going to experience a story and then you trying to piece it together yourself. And you unlock you unlock a kind of glossary of all the events of the story in the same way in other games you might unlock like items or like our equipment. The game treats like story elements like that as something that's essential to collect. And I'd be there like looking over the glossary and kind of trying to piece th- together the story. And I've been in this menu for 20 minutes and it just got me thinking... Is this good gameplay? Is this meaningful gameplay? Is me pouring over the story and trying to figure out how it all fits together? Like, does it count as gameplay? And I think yes. I think it's as meaningful as anything if, if, if it's driving me forward. And it's just, I wanted to talk about it because it's one of the most interesting games I've played in a long time. Yet, I think you, some like schools of philosophy might even say that like it's a bad piece of game design, but I just completely agree. Disagree. Was, this, was it, was the conclusion satisfying without revealing anything yes yes very much so convoluted but that's kind of the fun of it the fun of it is that these 13 different plot lines are also ridiculous but they all start like meshing together like i, I won't spoil anything but just to demonstrate it ends up being a very timey-wimey thing so not only is the story out of chronological order but it's set in different time frames as well and it starts dropping bread comes very early on of how ridiculous the story is going to get. Like I'll say one character is from World War II Japan who gets transported into the 80s Japan. That's his plot line. That's his, that's his story. But very early on, I unlocked a cutscene in another one of the stories, uh, one of the other character stories where you see that boy from World War II on a space station in the future. You see a video of him. And you're like, okay, why is he in the future? And it's stuff like that. So and what's the... What's the minute-to-minute gameplay on this, Liam? Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful sprite artwork. It looks almost like uh, an old point-to-click adventure game, like a Monkey Island or something. And you can wander around. Is it 2D or 3D? It's 2D. Okay. It's 2D. And you can wander around. It's not like, it's not just text on a screen. You can control your character. There's some agency you can explore, even though there's only one strict route through the whole game, even though the story is split up not in chronological order you as a player you're kind of stuck on a path to get through it 
that's the thing. The gameplay itself isn't that meaningful. I would have liked some puzzles or something because like, the game almost looks like a monkey island or something, so it would have suited it. But um, you have to kind of go in knowing that two-thirds of your time with this game are going to be just be story-related and walking around and getting dialogue and characters. And the other third is the gameplay, which is kind of like a command and conquer type thing. What? Command and conquer meets Final Fantasy because you, you do control your, your troops with a, like a cursor, but it's turn-based to go back to what Mars so was these, saying. Like, the turn-based, turn-based elements are in reference to you and your people fighting kaiju with the mechs. Which you know chronologically is the last part of the story. You just don't know how all 13 got into fucking robots and are fighting mechs. How how do you make a game like that? How do you write and design a game like that? It took years. It was one dude, and apparently it just took years of planning. It's it's what I I know loosely about the development of it. And, um, yeah, and you get to choose... The order you see sometimes characters um stories might get blocked off like you get to see a percentage of how far you're through each character story like one girl you might get blocked at 50 percent, and it'll tell you you have to get 50 percent with this other character to continue her story so the game does block you off but for the most part you get to choose whose character's story you start playing through and you also get to choose when you do some uh commander command and conquer style mech battles so there's a lot of kind of options of how you want to play this game if you're if you're really not in the mood for the fighting parts that you just want to sit and chill and fucking watch the story. You can do that a lot of the time as well. My main thing is anyone playing this game is just to realize that the game is two thirds story before they get into it. Uh, how, how did you end up playing this? Like, I know you said you played earlier games by the developer, but how did you land on picking this up and, and playing it? I thought it looked, it was, I saw it very briefly in the game awards up for best narrative and it looked, I was like, what is this? It's something mental in Japanese and I don't know it. So I looked it up and I t- said it was really good. I thought it looked really good. And um, I said to my girlfriend, uh, I really want this game eventually, uh, maybe for my birthday or something. And then she got it for me as a Christmas present, as a surprise. The, well, she she, she tells me. Yeah, no, I actually didn't expect it for Christmas at all. She tells me that she went to the GameStop to buy it and the guy was gushing about it. He was like, oh my God, this is like the best, best visual novel game ever. Yeah, this is the one I want. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like me and him are the only two people in, in Ireland who <laughs> played it, you know? I don't know. There's one thing you said that was really interesting to me, Liam, and I know you obviously don't believe it, but you, you kind of... You said that some people might interpret it that way, that we should, you know, warn people that two thirds of the game is a story. That's such a true thing now. That like people I think if a game really is mostly story now and there just isn't enough gameplay, it's just not gonna bring people in and people aren't gonna be hooked to it anymore. Like I just feel like I can't remember and I have to be honest, I can't remember a game I played since maybe her story. Do you remember that? Where there was like almost no gameplay and it was all story. That, that kind of that kind of hooked me and sucked me in. So I just find it interesting that you you feel that's like that might be a detractor for a lot of people. I definitely think it is, but I think that's absolutely fine as well. But I just think it, it, it kind of raises the point of what is like what defines a video game. And this game kind of got me thinking about that. And I think we're at the stage with with consoles where like what defines a video game in terms of what you're describing, Liam, also depends on like a platform because I like if I think this is only on PlayStation 4, I think. Um, but like in my mind, th- something like that deserves to be on a handheld, and that's where it, it should be. Um, yeah. it, it, like instead of that, like that home console, it's you yeah, know, something like that to take with, on the go. Yeah. yeah, I think you should hang out with your Switch and better something and just like do you know 30 minutes of the story be better. Yeah, I think you're right, it gets only on PS4. I think that, yeah, that is a shame, but it. it really did make me think like it does this count as a game and i absolutely think it does i think a broader kind of idea of what a video game is i think is a good thing i think games trying to kind of give you different things rather than beat bad guy um get higher level or something like that you know the kind of traditional things beat level jump on goomba yeah and just and just kind of just be kind of an interactive story i think it's a very interesting thing to do and if it's not someone's kettle of fish i i think that's fine I think it's like I think it's becoming a really um, much more current thing in the video game industry. To be completely honest with you, like the 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 experiments that Netflix are doing um, in terms of their you know interactive 
movies walks a fine line. Like Black Mirror, uh, you, yeah. you know, like what Black Mirror did. Kimmy Schmidt did it for yeah, the final season. Right. You know, it's so you don't put the. I wouldn't necessarily classify them as as um as video games, but there's a couple of um like one of the studios out of uh out of Wales. I think I think it's called Wales Interactive. Again, it's like it kind of how much how much agency do you give the the user you know like if if uh, as the technology pushes forward you know it's like what's that fine line between watching and actually you know pressing an input and having uh, a consequence in the story and and having there be an action rather than being much more passive i just think one of the most interesting ways a video game can tell a story that's unique to the medium of video games is like like um like what Marcy was saying about his game with the character creation and really just carving your own path, making your own character and then your decisions affect it. And that's very unique to games. And I, I always believe that, but I just think there's a lot to be said about having a traditional straight narrative as well. There was a lot of debate this year over the last of us part two about that having as being essentially a kind of, oh, I'm not going to spoil it. Marcy, I know you haven't played it. Uh, one of the 17 things that was argued about in that game on the internet was just how it was a straight narrative that couldn't you couldn't affect you were kind of uh, strapped in for it but playing 13 sentinels it's one of the it's one of the few games i've played that just made me realize that a straight narrative in a video game can be very interesting you could go online and watch this whole game on youtube i'm sure someone put it up on youtube you save the money, and I just don't. Even though the, the the effect that the player has on the story is negligible, I just don't think it would be as meaningful without you deciding what order you, you perceive the story, pouring over the glossary screen, like, and just kind of trying to piece together the mysteries yourself. It reminds me of like a good TV show that you that you talk about weekly, except it was all like an internal thing I was doing myself. Like every like ten hours, like and the game is about forty hours. So every ten hours, I just go into that screen for about half an hour and just kind of remind myself it tells you what happened in every scene you've done i just kind of remind myself of events and try to piece them together in my mind and i just realized that i was just in the main thing i was getting out of the game was i was just enjoying piecing together the story and figuring it out and i don't think you could get that on any other medium i think it's i think it's a very unique way to do a very traditional um form of storytelling if that makes sense it does. It sounds incredibly appealing and incredibly different and incredibly, incredibly refreshing. I just find it funny that last year felt like a year where I think a lot of us expected to go back and just replay old games we played into oblivion, but maybe it wasn't. It was kind of where we all looked to try and play something something different and new and a different approach. And it just sounds weird. And it sounds like the end of like a Steven Spielberg movie where, you know, we, we learned so much along the way. But I, 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 I didn't buy a dinosaur, though. <laughs> but like it, it was kind of like i remember last year as well the start of last year before covid hit i got addicted to playing walking simulators for about two months like dear esther everybody's got to the rapture um and that was because i was looking for games that had that low kind of input that owen was kind of talking about and it was just all story um uh, yeah, so i think this is much more japanese but you're in the same ballpark here um one of my like in that walking sim subgenre just kind of began as a kind of insult, but now it's kind of become the official name for that genre. Um, my favorite one of that I've ever played is um, What Remains of Edith Finch. Yeah. Any of you ever played that, which is a really fascinating form of straight storytelling in the game. I recommend it for anyone who's looking for um, good storytelling in a video game. I thought it was brilliant. I also love one called um, A Night in the Woods, mm, which is a kind of, um, yeah, kind of small town story but everyone are animals but uh it's one of the best straight narrows i've played in the game as well that's what i'm saying i love playing something like um for me the big the biggest example would be i love the mass effect trilogy i adore it i adore kind of carving my own path through that but i just think so much of the conversation about video game storytelling ends up being stuff like that as it should be i think there's definitely room for just these straightforward linear narratives and how the fact that they're a little bit interactive can make them so much more appealing 13 sentinels for me wouldn't work in any other medium a movie or TV show or a YouTube video of someone playing it. Like, I just don't think you're going to get the same experience. And I wouldn't go quite saying it was the best game I played in 2020, but as soon as we landed on doing this, it was the one that I immediately wanted to talk to talk about. Cause also, cause it's just such a weird game and I just want to talk about it. No, like, you know, it's, it's a great point just to bring up as a whole, because it really speaks to um, kind of really exciting times ahead for the industry as a whole because how you can shape and use the medium to tell a story 
you know, there's almost something like, you know, that one experience a year now that we're, we're seeing as the, as the industry grows, that kind of blows your socks off. Um, and, you know, this being one, like for me, and I won't dwell on it too much, was a, the follow-up game from Sam Barlow, who did um, Her Story, Marcy, um, which was Telling Lies, um, which was, you know, one of these, you know, interactive um, video games. But the whole thing is like, the the narrative is told through you dissecting private messages on someone's computer and listening to you know videotapes and recordings and phone calls and you're there literally writing down and taking note of what the narrative is as it unfolds in front of you trying to figure out who is lying in this situation and then following that narrative down that path you know, so I I just think as a, as a whole, Liam, it's like what you know, uh, Thirteen Sentinels is is uh, you know another way of exposing how the video game medium is just this tool for how to tell you like unique stories. One caveat with it though is another one is um, it's very Japanese, so be into that. <laughs> be ready for some anime. <laughs> there's teenagers and robots, and there's a lot of love triangles and stuff like that. But it is, and it, like even without all its um. Um, non-chronological order um, tomfoolery it ends up being a really really cool story really interesting one so yeah that's my game and I'm the only one who chose the game that actually came out in 2020 came out in 2019 oh, I win. this was a competition wasn't it came out in 2019 did it? not in Europe probably <laughs> I don't do that did it? I was yeah, no. that no, oh, November alright we can, we can edit that out uh, or just make it louder. No, we'll leave it in. Um, Put a wah-wah noise. I did not know it was in 2019. All right. God, I just thought because it was in the Game Awards, it was 2020. Uh, what, what, you know, what was really great from from this evening's conversation, I think, was actually when you sit down and look at the types of games that were brought to the table um, and how uniquely different they were, you know, when you're looking at an isometric RPG um, if you're looking at a, a really action-heavy third-person shooter to a really out-there Japanese narrative-driven gameplay mindfuck almost, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just shows and solidifies um, how broad um, the video game medium is as a whole. And, you know, for one, um, like I'm super excited about you know games potentially coming out in 2021 but i assume that everything is just getting shifted for the next two years to be completely honest with you it's it's just an exciting time in, in general it's like I, I hate when i see online or on twitter or whatever people saying oh video games aren't what they used to be uh video games has changed since i was younger blah 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 couldn't disagree more i find like it's just getting like yes there's games i'm very nostalgic about but i find that it's just the industry is getting more and more exciting and doing more and more different, interesting things, and I just I think it's a it's a good time to have a video game podcast as well. Um, I'll go along with that optimism. I like it. Yeah, optimism. There's, there's a lot of negative things to say about the video game industry, but I completely agree that there's a just a ton of variety and interesting things happening over the last few years. Yeah, games becoming more more and more accessible as well, as we we talked about as well. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that is all for today's episode. Um, we hope that everyone enjoyed uh, listening, guys. As always, uh, super fun to have uh, have this yeah. table chat, yeah, and yeah, um, right. I can't wait to, to do it again. Um, I know we have a couple of potential exciting games that we're we're going to talk about next time around. Um, Marcy, you better start playing them. That's it. Do we? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We do. Yeah, yeah. I get right on them. <laughs> Um, okay Uh, until next time thank you everyone for listening thank you everyone Bye. bye bye